As we were singing that song just a few moments ago, I felt the touch of the Holy Ghost in this place, and I thank God for that presence that we can feel here today. And uh, I appreciate this opportunity to speak to you, and uh, I would prefer to hear someone else and uh, listen to them as they minister the Word of God, but we have been asked and we will do our best. And I would like to say something today that will help all of us to do, to do the will of God and to be better servants. We are servants of God and we're talking about our destiny. And uh, who knows how soon and how quick that all of us may reach our eternal destiny. And that's the thing that we are interested in today. We have temporary goals, but our eventual and eternal goal is to meet the Lord and hear him say, well done. Praise the Lord. And uh, I told Brother Tenney today that coons were really night creatures. They didn't travel too much in the daytime. And so uh, I'm like somebody said they were a p.m. preacher instead of an a.m. I told my wife that when I died to not have my funeral early in the morning. It's hard to preach funerals early in the morning. They're a lot easier in the evening time. I don't know why. But uh, <clears throat> I will do my best, and I want to turn your attention today to the Word of God. We're going to talk about the servant's attitude. And, uh, of course, this is a very, very important aspect in all of our lives today. I have chosen for a scripture text the book of Genesis, chapter 13, and I will begin reading at verse 1 and read down through verse 12. Genesis chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also which went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now, uh, I think that when we survey the subject that is before us today, and we also survey the text that I have chosen to read to you from today, we find a beautiful display 
of a particular spirit and a particular attitude of a man of God that serves as a prime example for all of us today. And uh, I might say in the beginning this morning that if you will allow me, instead of trying to t uh, preach and maybe go fast or get into a high emotional pitch, I would like to just appeal to uh, our hearts for a few moments today uh, in a manner of teaching and just talking to us from the Word of God. But uh, from this today, we find a beautiful, beautiful example for the sons of Abraham in our father Abraham, for he is the father of the faithful. And I recognize that uh, when we talk about the servants of God, that this is a uh, scriptural terminology that is used very, very often throughout the scripture. You often find the designation of servant uh, for many different reasons, some because of bondage, some because of selling themselves as servants, but mostly in the Word of God you find men that have dedicated themselves and have taken upon themselves the role of a servant of God. There's, there's many designations. There are many implications of the servant of God. But not one time does the Bible use the word attitude. The word attitude is not even in the Scripture. But I don't think that there is any more of a silent uh, subject that is dealt with or a word that maybe we would say is silent in the Scripture. There is nothing that is dealt with any more uh, openly and any more effectively than our attitude and our spirit. Now, I don't want to particularly deal with our spirit so much today because I realize that our superintendent will be talking about that. But at the same time, I don't think that we can talk about our attitude without somehow touching our spirit because really our attitude is a reflection of our spirit. Amen. And I'll say that again. Our attitude is a reflection of our spirit. This is the manifestation to others of what our spirit is whenever we talk about our attitude. And uh, whenever we think about the subject of a servant of God, every minister in the Bible, and I, wanna, I want to emphasize that every minister in the Bible, regardless of position, regardless of divine designation, whether it was an apostle, a prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, Whatever the case, every minister in the Word of God is addressed and is spoken to as the servant of the Lord. That's right. Amen. The servant of the Lord. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, the Bible says. Uh, Paul introduced himself in every letter that he wrote, introducing himself. It was not opened as Paul the Apostle but it was Paul, the servant of God and an apostle. He always put emphasis upon his servanthood in every case. James, who was a great leader in the work of God, opened his book with the statement that he was a servant of God, as well as the apostle Peter, the man with the keys to the kingdom. He opened his second epistle as a servant of God, and then he addressed his position that Jesus Christ had put him in as an apostle secondarily. But it was always that feeling and that spirit of servanthood. Jude addressed himself to the church as a servant. Also, 
the angel of God brought the message to John on the Isle of Patmos as the servant of God. Amen. And so I do not feel today that we can overemphasize our role as the servants of the living God. Amen. And uh, all of us are aware of the fact that there are actually two kinds of servants. There are servants of force and then there are servants of love. We are not servants by force today. The love of Christ constraineth us. We are what we are because we want to be. Amen. We are in this role of serving God because we want to serve God. And I feel today that I'm addressing some of the, and and I, I trust that this doesn't sound contradictory, I feel that I'm addressing some of the highest servants in the world when I address the ministry today. Amen. I know of no role in this life that has more servanthood attached to it than that of the ministry. Amen. There is nothing that uh, fits the role and, and fits the picture of a servant any more than you that are out there pastoring your churches, that are out uh, leading the work of God, our officials that are filling different positions, men that are evangelizing and filling teaching positions and other categories in the work of God. They are truly servants of, of servants today. Amen. And uh, men that are in position, and I want to say this very kindly, and I want to say it honestly also and sincerely from my heart. Every time a man is elevated to a particular office or to a higher office, that doesn't, uh, it may sometimes in the eyes of men, but in his heart and in his relationship to God, it does not put him a little step higher on the totem pole of society and of strength and all of that. But all it does is put him more in a position of servanthood than he has ever been before. Amen. A great responsibility. We talk about, um, I was, uh, my little boy was with me in church last night and Brother Urshan was up talking and he thinks that Brother Urshan is the greatest fellow in the world. He told me, he said, he's my favorite man out of everybody because uh, we used to uh, pastor close together and we were, together a lot and he was asking me he said well now what is he is he is he over everybody is uh is he the top man in in the whole uh world and i said no he's just the top man in the united pentecostal church and you know that sounds big in the eyes of a child and i'm not minimizing that but when you talk about that you're talking about somebody that really uh there are thousands of dictates coming to there are thousands of demands coming to and uh, it puts you in a position of great responsibility as, as a servant of God. Amen. Uh, a lot of people look at the ministry and they say, well, I'd like to be in that position. You know, you're your own boss and you do what you want to do and you act like you want to act. That's really not the case. Everybody else is your boss. That's right. See, I'd like to get elected to that. I could be the boss of everybody. You got it all backwards. You mean everybody's the boss of you. That's really what it amounts to. Amen. I must be talking to a lot of pastors today. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. You know what I'm talking about. It is a role of servanthood. I'm not minimizing that. I am not bemoaning that fact. I'm glad that I'm a part of this work of God. Aren't you? Praise the Lord. We wouldn't be happy doing anything else, but we're doing it because we love God. But I want you to notice something in the Word of God. I searched and I looked, and not one time in the Scripture did I find the word servant 
capitalized. It's not capitalized one time in the Bible. The only place that you can capitalize servants is at the beginning of a sentence. And that's just because the English language dictates that you do that. Whenever Jesus Christ is referred to as a wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, it's all capitalized. But when Paul talks about him taking upon himself the form of a servant, it is a little s, just like you are referred to as a servant, and it starts with a little s. And that stood out to me, that uh, in that position, it never takes on the role of president. It never takes on the same designation as Father. It never takes on any of the importance, we might say, as other titles do, because it never deserves to be capitalized. It's a servant. And it keeps a low profile. And it keeps a low role in this life. But yet it's so important and so vital to all of us. And I was thinking the other day, I don't know where we come up with it at, but you know, we talk about uh, Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, Wednesday night service, and Saturday night service. I don't know uh, where that designation come from, and I'm not against it. I think it's good. But I got to thinking, really, those are services. It is a service in the true sense, not only to God, but to others. Isn't that right? That's what our services are all about. And I recognize that uh, oftentimes, and I certainly don't want to take it out of context today, and I don't want to take it out of its proper setting. I know that the Bible refers to the fact that uh, the Lord said he would not call us servants any longer, but that he would call us friends, and we would not be designated as servants any longer. But I want to tell you something, friend. When you start talking about our relationship as a friend to God, it does not in any way change our responsibility as a servant. Amen. And we can harp on our friendship with God, and I believe that there is a friendship with God. Just as Abraham was a friend of God, so are we the friend of God, and he looks at us as friends today. But even our sonship does not negate our responsibility of servanthood. Amen. And uh, you can't take one scripture out of context and say, well, I'm not a servant of God, I'm a friend of God. I want to tell you, we serve in a twofold capacity as a friend and as a servant, and the major portion of the emphasis is on the servanthood. Amen. It is not on our friendship. Praise God. But I want to say to us today, uh, to all of us, that from the time that we are saved, even unto the time that we are raptured and redeemed out of this world, we are referred to as the servants of God. If you want to be great, Jesus said, to become the minister. Amen. To become the servant, minister to others. And if you want to be the highest in this thing, then you are to become a servant of God. Amen. And after that you have done all that you have been commanded to do. Amen. After you have done everything that you have been commanded to do, what are you supposed to say? We are unprofitable servants. Amen. Now the Lord didn't say that you was an unprofitable servant. He just said for you to say that you wasn't. You know why he told us to talk like that? That helps your attitude. 
Isn't that right? It helps your spirit a little bit to say, well, I'm, I'm still unprofitable. You know, the servant, he went out and worked in the field all day, and he'd come home, he'd been plowing, he'd been feeding, and he'd come home, and uh, the Bible said when he comes in, does the master say, all right, now you've been working hard, you sit down and I'll feed you a little bit, and I'll wait on you now because you've been working hard. No, the Bible said that's not the way it works. The servant works all day, he comes home, and he says to the master, now you sit down, I'll take care of the meal, and I'll bring everything, and I'll get everything fixed just right, and I'll wait on you. And then uh, the Bible asks, does he thank his servant for doing that? No, he doesn't thank him. He's just been doing what he was paid to do and what he was asked to do. And then that servant that has worked all day and served his master even when he was tired, yet to keep the right spirit and the right attitude, he is to say, I'm still an unprofitable servant. Amen. That does something to your inner thinking. That does something to your inner self. Amen. And that's where uh, the very substance and the very root of our attitude is developed is through our inner thinking and through our reflection about the things of God and the work of God and through our personal meditation upon things. Out of that, there is manifested an attitude. Amen. So we need to be careful how we think and how we feel about certain things because that is the basis of an attitude. And then it all begins to show after a while. And uh, we're, we're the servants of God, and it's going to be that way until the Lord comes. Now, we'll never get out of the role of servanthood. I don't care what position you hold. I don't care how big of a church we pastor. I don't care how many souls pray through in our revivals. I don't care what we do in this kingdom. We never lose the designation of a servant. In fact, when we stand to receive the reward, the Lord is going to say, Well done, thou good and faithful what? Servant. servant. Everybody say servant. servant. Amen. It's not well done, thou good and faithful Lord. Amen. In fact, there is a scriptural injunction against those that feed and lead the flock of God that they are not to be a Lord over God's heritage and God's flock. Amen. Praise God. And, uh, and I know that it's a job to pastor people nowadays. I know that. I'm a pastor and have been for several years. And um, I've spent uh, close to half of my life pastoring churches. And over half of my life preaching. And so uh, I'm, not, I'm not a novice at this. I don't guess I am. Uh, I've been at it a little while anyway, over 20 years or 20-something years. And uh, I know that it's a job to pastor people, and I, I recognize all of the diverse situations that we're facing in our day. But at the same time, with the authority that the New Testament ministry has got, I believe in New Testament uh, ministerial authority. I believe the pastor ought to be the pastor of the church and all of those things. I recognize that. I believe we have a high calling. We have a high position with God. I believe we have certain ministers. We have certain delegations of authority from the Word of God. But I want to tell you something. We need to harp not so much on our authority 
and on our calling and on our position and our situation as much as we do on our spirit and attitude of servanthood. If I can be a true servant of God, then authority will find its proper level and proper place. If I'm the right kind of a servant, I'll have the right kind of respect. I'll have the right kind of leadership. I'll have the right kind of pastoral uh, leadership in the church. If I can be the right kind of a servant, Amen. If I can work on my servanthood and I can work on my spirit and I can work on my attitude, I believe everybody will respect me that ought to respect me and everybody will follow me that's going to follow me and all the rest of the things will take care of themselves. Amen. Yes, sir. But we all have problems with being servants and we all have problems with our attitude. Amen. You ever get in a bad frame of mind and just get in a bad spirit and uh, maybe didn't nobody know it but you, but you was wrestling with it. Now don't everybody look so pious and righteous. Now we're, we're, really, we're really talking about where we really live. Yes, sir, brother. We've had some battles with that before. Amen. And oh God, help us today to be true servants and to have the proper attitude and to have the proper spirit as the servants of God. You know, uh, it stood out to me in thinking of this, and uh, it's just a little bit of a sideline thought. It stood out to me that, uh, and I know God was behind all of it, and it had already been prophesied and all of that, but the thing that stands out to me in the division of Israel into ten kingdoms and two kingdoms. You know, you know what the pivot point of that division was over? And you know what the statements were and what the advice was and the refusal of advice you know what it was that brought the division of the 12 tribes of the children of israel that split them apart even unto this day to a degree do you realize what brought that about was a man that had the wrong attitude about serving a man wanted to rule instead of serve and i want to tell you something i know that uh, I know the husband is to be the head of the wife, and I know the pastor is to be uh, the head of the church and all of that. But I want to tell you something. When you start putting the emphasis on the rule instead of the servant, instead of the love and the kindness and the fellowship of the whole thing, then there's going to be division. In every case, I don't care where it's at. Amen. Now, maybe I've got the wrong uh, concept of the thing, but I think that the less are the least emphasis that we can put on our position and on our authority and on our uh, headship of things and just do the job, the better off we are. Amen. I learned a long time ago when I had to get up and beat on the Bible stand and say, bless God, you hear me now, I'm the pastor here. I was really struggling whether I was or not. That's the truth. And you know I'm telling you the truth. When you just get up and do it, and you just run the thing, and you're just the boss, and you just go on and, and you be the servant, that's all you have to do. Hallelujah. You don't get up and say, I'm running the show around here now. I want everybody to know I'm running it. You know, everybody gets the question, well, is he really running or is he just trying to tell us he's running it? I'm talking about our attitude now. I'm talking about our spirit. 
Amen. Just, you know, you just, I just feel like if you just do the thing and you just serve and you just work, well, then all of that falls into its proper place. And I learned that you cannot demand anybody's respect. You earn their respect. When you have to stand up and say, now you're going to respect me. And you hear me now, you've got to respect me. They're not going to respect you for trying to make them respect you. That destroys respect within itself. Wow. Amen. <clears throat> Praise God. But, you know, there's a certain mannerism, there's a certain attitude that we can display that just demands respect. Have you ever worked for somebody that just stood over you and just tried to make you work as hard as, as, hard as you could work? You know what you did? You did more goofing off and them watching you and trying to make you work than you would have done if they'd have just gone on and let you alone. And then I've worked with other folks. They get in there and work beside you, and they just make you want to work yourself to death for them. I worked with a fellow one time. He liked to starve me to death. He never would eat lunch. He never would stop and take a break. But there was something about that fellow's attitude. He was right in there working with you, and you wanted to work. You didn't think about stopping to eat dinner. You was hungry. You was weak, but you just wanted to keep on working because of his attitude. And there's something that can motivate us. And that was the downfall of Rehoboam when he went to the old men and asked their advice. And you know what those old men told him? And this is the best advice for servanthood and leadership that I know anything about. They said, if you will speak good words to this people and be a servant to them, then they will serve you forever. And he said, no, now bless God, I'm fixing to get tough around here. Hallelujah, you think it's been bad. You think the last fellow was bad. You're just fixing to get it now. I'm going to show you how it's done. Hallelujah. Well, we had a little split, but bless God, I'm still the boss here now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. That's what happened, wasn't it? Amen. Thank God I got it now. Amen. That's what happened to Rehoboam. He said, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the boss. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take things into my own hands. And the old adage that it's not so much what you say and what you do as how you do it and how you say it goes a long ways. Amen. I don't, I don't really know. I think I'll say it. I started to say I didn't know if I ought to say it. You know, I've heard some sermons and I don't mean to be, speak despairing of any, anybody or speak wrongly, God forbid. You know, I've heard some sermons that were uh, used to preach against things, and I didn't necessarily disagree with what they preached against, but it was preached in such a spirit that it almost, almost made me want to do what they told me not to do because of the way they said it. You know what I mean? Amen. But you know, you can preach against blue suits and make me like it if you'll do it in the right way. Isn't that right? Yes, sir. But, but it's the attitude. It's not, it's not the way you say It's not so much what you say, but it's the way you say it. It's the way that you do it. And, uh, and you can say, well, I'm going to, 
I'm going to be firm and I'm not going to let my attitude show and all of that. But brother, your attitude's showing and I don't have to get up here and declare to you, well now folks, I've got such and such an attitude. That don't mean anything. It's just like talking about being humble. You know. Brother Clanton, he uh, was joking one time. He was writing a track for a publication at headquarters and he was joking when he said, several of us are writing tracks and he said, I'm writing one on humility. And he said, mine's the best one of them all. <laughs> Amen. Mine's the best one of them all. Humility. Amen. He was just joking. But, you know, I can get up here and say, now, folks, I've got such and such an attitude. But I can have a bad attitude telling you I've got a good attitude. He's sire telling me he's sweet. He's mean telling me he's good. You know what I'm talking about. It just shows through. You don't have to go around declaring your attitude. It just shows. It's as plain as your face. You may not say a word, but I can discern your attitude. You know, you don't have to pastor church very long until people start coming in the front door and you say, uh-huh, or uh-oh, or is that right? They don't say a word. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's just the way it works. I heard a story several years ago about a man, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't read and write, and uh, he had a boy, and so the boy moved away from home, and he was always writing home and uh, writing letters to his dad. A lot of times he'd write home and he'd want money or ask his dad to do certain things, and so, of course, the father, he couldn't read and write, so he'd always have to take the letter to somebody and get them to read it. So one day he got a letter from the boy, and he took it to work with him, give it to a big old rough uh, factory worker or somebody around that didn't really care. They didn't want to read it to him anyway. And so they started reading this letter real rough and hateful, you know. And down the letter and the boy wanted the dad to send him some money and the old man he got mad and he grabbed the letter and he said I'm not sending him any money and so he decided after a few days well I'd, I'd like to hear what that letter said again I you know I can't read it so I'll get somebody else to read it to me so he took it to a real nice soft-spoken school teacher lady and she took the same letter and she started reading it to him. And the boy, of course, after a while, he got down to the request for money. And before she got through reading it, big old tears was running down his face. And he said, if he'd have said it that way the first time, I'd have already sent him the money. It's just the difference in the way you say it. Isn't that right? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. So we have to be careful sometimes how we say what we say. Because our attitude shows through in everything that we do. I read to you a, a scripture text today that I think is one of the highlights of the spirit of a man. And the attitude of a man whenever there was a strife between his herdman and the herdman of Lot. 
Now, let's face the facts. Abraham could have asserted a call. He could have asserted a leadership. He could have asserted authority. And he would have been in his rightful place. He would not have been wrong. Not in any sense or case would he have been wrong. But instead of that, look at the attitude. He said, Lot, he said, you just decide what way you want to go. And if you want to go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you want to go to the north, I'll go to the south. It's just up to you. I'll let you make the choice. You can't beat that kind of a spirit and that kind of an attitude. You know what? Because of a selfish spirit, Lot lost most everything. He did lose everything that he had, lost a lot of his family. But whenever uh, Lot had chosen his way and had taken the well-watered plains of the Jordan Valley, Abraham stood there alone with God, and God told him, said, Abraham, I want you to look from the place where you are to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and I'm going to give it to you. You know what? We need to show a good spirit and a good attitude, and then we need to look from the place that we're at and say, God, I'm believing you for blessings right here where I'm at. Amen. Sometimes I've thought if I was over yonder or down yonder or somewhere else, everything would be fine. But it's not so fine there, here, or yonder, anywhere else. You need to look from the place where you are at. Amen. And a lot of times it's a barren rock and nothing to look at, but just look from where you're at. God's going to be with you. Praise God. If we'll have the right attitude and the right spirit. Amen. Now I want to touch on a few things today that we should have a proper spirit and attitude towards. And uh, I want to say this today as a minister, brother among you and as a part of you and not as a Lord or as an authoritarian on anything, but just from a point of personal observation today, I would like to talk to us about where we live and, and our situation that we face. And let's, let's face it, everything that we come in contact with and everything that we do and everything that we're involved in has somewhat of an effect on our attitude. Amen. Has somewhat of an effect. And uh, I think that one of the prime areas that we need a good spirit in is toward the ministry. Amen. Now, just about everybody in Louisiana has got preachers in your church. That's right. And that's not altogether a bad thing. That's right. That's not, that's not altogether a bad thing. I was a preacher at one time in somebody's church, and they helped me. Or I would have never gone out. And you know, you've got to get started somewhere, and, and preachers are born in some kind of an environment, and consequently they are born in the atmosphere of an apostolic Pentecostal church, and then they go out from there. And it brings honor to that church. I think it's important for me as a pastor to have the right attitude toward the ministers in my local church. That's important. And to have a good spirit and a good relationship with them. Now, I'm not talking about situations that are impossible. I'm not talking about problems. I'm not talking about differences. That's not the thing that I'm talking about. But I'm saying to you today that the devil can build up things in your mind that don't ever exist. And let's face it, our biggest battle is right up here. And if you ever fall, you'll fall in your mind first. 
Whenever somebody goes out and, and they start smoking or they, some lady comes out in a pantsuit or something, then the word goes through the church. Well, so-and-so's backslid. I saw them smoking. Really, they backslid before they started smoking and, and cut their hair and wearing pantsuits. And all. They were already backslid. What that is is an expression to you that I'm backslid and I'm telling you I'm backslid by my actions. But if they had never backslid, they would have never done that. That's only an expression. That is an outward manifestation of an inward spiritual condition. That's all that is. And so you never know the battle that is being waged in somebody's mind and in their spirit and in their heart. And that's where our greatest conflict is at today. There are pressures against all of us. And brother, you can say what you want to say. The devil can concoct some kind of ideas in your mind if you don't watch it. Against other people, against other ministers, against other pastors, even against your own pastor, if there are any saints here. That's right. Uh, <clears throat> some years ago when I was pastoring in uh, Indiana, a lady come up to me one night and she said, Brother Coon, I want to know what you've got against me. I said, I don't have anything against you. Why? And she said, well, she said, I feel like you do. And I said, well, I appreciate your honesty. I said, I don't know. I said, have I done anything or said anything or acted in any way that would indicate to you that I have something against you? She said, well, several months ago, she said, there was an evangelist in our church and said, he leaned over and said something to you, and both of you guys smiled, and then you looked up at me. And she said, I know you was talking about me. And I said, lady, I've never called your name to an evangelist that's ever been in this church. But the devil had put that in her mind, and it bothered her. And she was sincerely bothered. I'm not belittling her. You've had battles with things that's just as silly. That's the truth. We can laugh at her, but we all have the same problem. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. You may say, well, I wish all of those coons would have showed up at night instead of now. Brother Urshan be preaching tonight. Amen. But I'm just being honest with us today. I, I, I don't think you uh, uh, would disallow me to just be honest and open and frank with us today about an attitude, about a spirit. Amen. And I think that one of the greatest spirits and one of the greatest manifestations, I might say, of attitude is displayed in that of David and Saul. Brother, you have got, you talking about opposite poles. You talking about opposite fields and opposite directions. You've got it in David and Saul. Amen. And Saul could not stand for David to be honored as a boy for anything that he had done. It just eat him up with jealousy. You know, it's nice when it's all going your way and you're getting the bouquets and the honors and, and the gifts and all of that, but what about other folks? And what about them? I want to tell you something. You've got to have a good attitude when other folks are being honored as well as yourself. And Saul could not stand for them to say that uh, David has slain his ten thousands while Saul has only slain his thousands. 
He couldn't stand that. And you know the result, and you know the outcome, and you know the story of what happened in the midst of all of that is because of his bad attitude against David, and because David had a good spirit, Saul went down while David was elevated in the eyes of God. I want to tell you something, brother. You cannot destroy a man with a good spirit and a good attitude. But I want to tell you something else. You can't redeem anybody with a bad spirit either. Amen. I've heard people say, well, uh, you know, so-and-so, they did me wrong, and they're against me, and, and so they just killed me. Can't nobody kill you if you'll have a good spirit. But nobody can make you live if you've got a bad one either. Amen. You can't stop a man with a good attitude and a good spirit. But I want to tell you something. You take somebody in a church with a sour attitude, you cannot use them. You can't help them. They cannot be a leader. They will not be followed. They will not be respected if they've got a bad spirit and a bad attitude. And you know I'm telling you the truth. But you take somebody in your church that's got a good attitude and a good spirit, people will follow them. You can use them. They'll be an asset to the work of God and to the church because of their spirit. It's not because of their education and because of their abilities. You know, you can't hide a bad attitude with a, with a nice dress or a nice suit and a nice hairdo and a nice car. You can't hide a bad spirit with that. That's the truth. And I want to tell you something. Pride is a spiritual, it is a sin of the spirit. Pride is not a sin of having things and expensive things and great things. That's not pride. I've seen some people say, well, he's proud. He's got a nice car. That is not an indication of pride. Having a lot of money is not an indication of pride. Having a nice suit or a nice dress or having your hair combed, is, it, that's not an indication of pride. I've seen some people that was greasy and filthy and dirty and didn't care about anything, and they was just, they was just eking with pride. I want to tell you where pride manifests itself is in your attitude. Am I right? That's where pride is shown up at. And, and a haughty spirit is shown in an attitude. It's not shown in what you, uh, you can have the most expensive suit in town and the highest priced car in town, and you can still be as humble as a child. Isn't that right? Amen. Some people say, I'm humble. I'm driving a, uh, I'm driving a, a Datsun. I'm humble. Does that make me humble? My suit didn't cost but $50. That makes me humble. Baloney. That's not humility. Amen. That's right. Tight boy. I've seen some people come out and say, you know, I want y'all to know that, that I've got a humble spirit. Everything I wore tonight, nothing matches. I'm humble. They're proud because nothing matches. Isn't that ridiculous? Amen. My Lord, help us. You know, we need to watch our attitude about everything we do. Amen. And God help us today as ministers to have the right attitude and the right spirit toward the brethren and toward the people of God. Amen. 
You know, I think that, that Paul is one of the greatest apostles. He stands out. He, he even said himself that he was not one whit behind the chiefest of apostles. In other words, I am not one little iota behind anybody in this apostleship business. I'm not behind anybody. But I want to tell you what Paul did one time. Whenever he hadn't been to Jerusalem for 14 years, he didn't come walking in and say, Now, folks, I come to report on my revival and report on how many churches I have established and how many churches I've built. You know what he did? He went to men privately of reputation. And he consulted with them to see if he had run or was running in vain. That's the reason I like to go to conferences and camp meetings and church. I like to see if I'm still preaching what everybody else is preaching or if I'm just hanging out of here on a limb by myself with my own silly ideas showing through. Now, that's saying it plain, but that's the way it is. I want to tell you something. You can get off in a corner and do nothing but read the Bible and pray, and you'll go into heresy doing that. I, I had an old man that used to come to church. He wouldn't listen to nobody. I mean nobody. He'd come to church and sit up on the front about where Brother George Smith sitting at here this morning. Sat there all the time. And you know what he did all day long? He sat on his front porch and read his Bible and dipped snuff and the grass was dead in the front where he had spit all the time. <laughs> Reading his Bible all the time. You couldn't convince him snuff was wrong. He wouldn't listen to nobody. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Paul said, I want to find out, brethren. I've been all over the world preaching. Am I still preaching what you're preaching, yeah, Brother right, Peter? Right. Tell me something. Let's Amen. Thank God. Now, <laughs> here, here I go about uh, what I said maybe we shouldn't do. I remember several years ago, sometimes I print little Bible lessons or notes and give them to my congregation on Bible study night. And I did one on tongues one time. And you know what? I sent a copy of that to Brother Urshan. He was president then. I sent a copy of it to him. I said, Brother Urshan, would you examine this and see if it's all all right? You say, well, that's so silly. Bless God, I'm called just like you called. But I want to tell you something, friend. We need to check out our doctrine. We need to check out where we stand. We need to check out our attitude with other people of reputation, lest we run in vain. Amen. I'm talking about a right attitude now. Amen. A good spirit about the things and the work of God. You know, that same great apostle one time, he stood before a high priest. And I want to show you Paul's attitude. He was a great man of God. He stood before a high priest, and, uh, and that high priest said something to him, and Paul answered him back. And I believe it was Ananias, the priest was. He told him, he said, slap Paul on the cheek. Smite him on the face. And they reached over and slapped Paul. And Paul looked up and said, God will smite you, you whited sepulcher. He said, do you stand there or sit there to judge me after the law and then say for me to be smitten contrary to the law that you're judging me after? And somebody looked at him and said, listen, Paul, do you revile God's high priest? And he said, brother, and he said, I wish not that he was a high priest. He apologized for even making that remark to him. What an attitude. He said, God said, you're not supposed to speak evil of the ruler of your people. 
You're talking about a good spirit and a good attitude. I want to have the right attitude as a minister and toward the ministry. I want to have the right spirit, don't you? Praise God. There are so many things that we could say today. I want to have the right attitude toward the saints that I pastor. And all you saints, forgive me. Shut your ears or something. But you know, saints can make you feel like a king one day and the next day. <clears throat> you want me to say what they make you feel like? Maybe I better not, but you know. You know, one phone call can turn it all around for you. That's right. Hallelujah. I don't know why that we are like that, but we are like that. Amen. But, oh, brother, in the midst of all of that, you've got to keep a good spirit. You better watch it. Your attitude's showing. Every time you preach, it's showing. You can tell them, folks, I'm, I'm, I know I'm getting hard, but I'm preaching in a good spirit. You don't have to tell them that. They know whether you are or not. Amen. Oh, yes, sir. Our attitude, dealing with it and, and, you know, getting it right. Hallelujah. And I'll tell you something else I learned a long time ago, and that is to don't deal with problems, especially if you can evade doing so and you can avoid doing so until your attitude's right. I'd lot rather go home and sleep on it if I could. Now, there are some things you have to handle right on the spur of the moment. But if you can think about it, you can get your perspective straightened out. You can get your attitude straightened out. You can calm yourself, and you'll handle the thing a whole lot better. Amen. Like I've said a lot of times, any old mud hole will clear up if you'll leave it alone. But if you stir in it, it gets muddier. Isn't that right? Sometimes we need to quit stirring. But that's easy to do. You know, our attitude has a lot to do with it. And this is, this is the thing that ruined Rehoboam, was his spirit and his attitude toward the people of God. I'll never forget, <clears throat> several years ago, uh, my wife and I had been on vacation for about a week or ten days, and I was getting so, you know, you get that real lonesome, homesick feeling to be in church. You've seen all of the crowds and all of the, all of the things that's out there, and you just get sick of that. You know, you just want to go to church so bad. And so I told, I told my wife, I said, we'll try to find a church somewhere around here, and we'll, if the preacher will go with us, we'll take him and his wife out to eat after church, and we'll just have some fellowship. And so we looked and looked and looked and looked, and we finally found a little church way off out in the country, way off out in the country. So uh, we went to church that night, and we got there, and and it was right at 7.30. And so we drove on down the road about a mile past the church, and we come back. And just as we got there, I figured they'd have time, you know, maybe to be up singing a chorus and taking prayer requests and going good. And so I said, then we'll just slip right in because we don't know anybody and nobody knows us. So we, we slipped into the front door and got in the vestibule of the church. And instead of them <clears throat> having uh, a real lively service going, now this was on Sunday night. The preacher was standing up there with a guitar around his neck, and he was just standing there like this with his guitar around his neck, and he was reading them the right act. And so we walked in the front door, 
And I said, well, surely he'll keep talking. And he stopped and he said, I see we got some visitors out there in the front. Said, we'll wait till they get in and get set down before we go any further. So I, would, I knew there wasn't anything to do but sit down or leave. So I come in and sit down. And sure as the world, he thought I was a Trinitarian preacher. I had on a suit, and he thought I was a Trinitarian preacher. And he tore Trinitarian preachers up just one side and down the other. He, taught, he called them everything. And his curiosity got the best of him. The minute he stopped me, he said, Brother, who are you anyway? Now, this is on Sunday night in the middle of church. They hadn't sung. They hadn't done anything. And so I said, well, if you're that ignorant, I'm just going to be ignorant too. And I just said, I'm Crawford Coon. He said, well, it's good to have you, brother. And then he tore into us Trinity preachers again. <clears throat> and he said, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I just feel like I ought to say it. He said, I feel like somebody here needs this tonight. <laughs> you know, I was really being blessed. And I was, I was tired of all that junk out there I'd been around. You know, I wanted, I wanted to go to church. And so his curiosity was just killing him. And in a minute he said, Brother, he said, come up here behind this pulpit and tell us who you are. And so I got up and then I told him that I was a United Pentecostal Church preacher and all of that. This was in a United Pentecostal Church. And so then he felt a little bit better about me. But... <clears throat> He, he had some other folks that was causing him problems. And before I left, I'd never seen that place. I knew who was causing him trouble before I left. Oh, brother, we got preached to that night. And then he had some fella preach for him, and he preached a little bit, and he got the folks to shouting a little bit, and they shouted around an old heater out on the floor. And the pastor, he got up when it was all through, and he said, well, he said, that's a pretty good sermon. But he said, I want to tell you one thing. It was a way too long. And he said, I see sister so-and-so shouted a little bit here tonight. Said, maybe she got enough victory to be here next Sunday. Said, she didn't show up this morning. He said, maybe she got enough victory to be here next Sunday morning. And he tore into him again. Amen. And then when we left, I, you know, I tried to warm up to him after church, but he had such a bad attitude, I don't think you could have fed him anything or bought him anything. He was sour at the world. Honest to God, he was. I felt sorry for the man. I told my wife, I said, I'd backslide here for sure. <clears throat> I couldn't take it. Amen. Oh, brother, I want to tell you something. An attitude and a spirit makes all the difference in a church service. Now, I'm not telling you something I heard about. I was right there. And it's a lot worse than what I'm telling you. I'm just giving you the highlights. <clears throat> Amen. Now, this is Sunday night. And this is revival time, and there's visitors in the church, and, and it's time to have church. I think we ought to have church when it comes that time, don't you? Let's have a good attitude. I think the saints ought to have a good attitude, have a positive outlook. Praise God. And if somehow I, that I can get in touch with God and get my attitude right and my spirit right, I believe that everything will be all right. And I know that my time is gone and I'm quitting, but I want to say this. We need the right attitude in prayer. That's the reason Solomon got so much from God. He had a good spirit. He had a good attitude. We need the right attitude toward the message that is preached. It almost cost Naaman his healing because of his attitude. But he got healed when he got his attitude right. I tell you what, it's easy to judge.
things whenever the attitudes and the spirits of people are right. That's the reason Solomon could say, give this baby to this woman that says don't divide it. She's a mother. Why? She had a good attitude and a good spirit, and it showed through. I believe we ought to have a good attitude towards our families. We ought to have a good attitude toward life. Amen. Toward life itself, toward success and failure, toward money, toward everything, we ought to have a good attitude. Amen. Other people know what your attitude is. Do you know? Amen. Do you know what your attitude is? Others know. The attitude is the reflection of the Spirit. It's the silent expression of our character. It is the unsung song of what's in our heart. And it is the unexpressed feeling of our heart. Your, your attitude can be changed. It can be cultivated. It can be molded. It can be made better. I want to work on my attitude, don't you? And I want to keep the attitude of a servant and never develop the attitude of a Lord. God bless you. Let's give him a hand, too. I'll...